definitely a hard thing to go through, but I've always just had this peace and comfort that I know I'm going to see him again someday. That was Mary. Her motherhood journey has had its ups and downs, from an unexpected diagnosis at a 20-week ultrasound to moving, homeschooling, and navigating another unexpected illness. And through it all, she's managed to focus on love and find ways to care for herself, though she admits it hasn't always been easy. I'm Heather Kuntz, and this is Motherhood Material. Before we get started, I want to warn listeners that there's some sensitive content in today's episode. We'll be discussing a little bit about infant death, so please use discretion. Mary has five children. As she puts it, four on earth and one in heaven. Her journey into motherhood began when she met her high school sweetheart. The young couple married and began thinking about starting a family. I always wanted to be a mom. I always wanted to, you know, stay home with my kids. That's partly why I went into education was I knew I wanted to homeschool. When she was 23, Mary found out she was pregnant. Mary's husband was in the military, which meant they moved a lot. And with that came many different doctors. We had just moved to Savannah, Georgia, and... Um, no family. Um, my husband was in the military. Never saw the same doctor twice. I'm always like when I meet people and they've had the same person deliver all their kids. And I'm like, wow. Savannah, Georgia was a hot place to carry a child. And Mary gave birth not a minute too soon. Her daughter was beautiful and healthy. And Mary settled into new motherhood. But when she became pregnant with her second child, a boy, things didn't go as smoothly. Number two, um, he decided to come five weeks early. Um, which we weren't expecting. He was seven pounds, um, nine ounces, um, five weeks early. So he would have been a big baby, um, but his lungs weren't ready. And then um, he ended up needing to be transported to um, a hospital that had a higher level NICU and spent four weeks there and came home on oxygen. The NICU or neonatal intensive care unit is not a place any mother wants their child to end up. For Mary and families like hers, it was a trying time. Such an interesting experience. I mean, you're, you're glad they're there. They're glad they're safe, especially since he had to be transported. He was born at a hospital that, you know, couldn't give him the care that he needed. Your world stops, you know. I remember we were, he was born on Memorial Day weekend, and I was frustrated we couldn't get to the, the newer hospital where he was at the NICU because there was a Memorial Day parade going on. I'm like, how can you be having a Memorial Day parade? My baby's in the hospital. You know, time like stands still. Your life is in that hospital, your your mind, your heart, and you forget, well, somebody's got to go to work today. Somebody's going to the grocery store. Somebody's changing their laundry, and it, that, just, that doesn't occur to you. You're like, you're just so focused. At the time, Mary's first child was about two and a half, and by the time her son was ready to come home, Mary had a lot to juggle. You know, it was, it was nerve-wracking. He was there for four weeks, bringing him home on oxygen, and then you're just a nervous wreck. What if, what if you know, he needs more oxygen? What if I don't notice? As a family of four, they adjusted to their new reality, and Mary's son, who is now 6'2 and healthy, thrived. Everything was fine. Well, minus one tiny instance of sibling rivalry. I remember one time I looked up and I saw her. He was in like this little bassinet thing that we had on the floor, a little rocker bassinet, and I saw her just give him a little kick. 
A couple years later, Mary found out she was pregnant with her third child. And like the pregnancies before this one, everything was on track. She eagerly prepared for the 20-week ultrasound, where the doctor scans for abnormalities and determines the baby's gender. My pregnancy was normal, you know, up until we had the 20-week ultrasound. Um, and, you know, we'd, we'd taken older brother and sister and we're like, oh, look, there's your baby brother. And um, when the ultrasound was done, the, the technician, you know, they don't say anything pro, con, you know, whatever. And um, they're like, oh, you know, the doctor wants to see you. And so we went over and met with him and um, he, our, our son had all the markers for trisomy 18. Trisomy 18 is a genetic condition that results in an extra copy of the 18th chromosome. This disrupts fetal development and results in significant, often life-threatening side effects. According to the Trisomy 18 Foundation, Trisomy 18 occurs in one out of every 2,000 pregnancies. And sadly, it's a condition with an extremely high mortality rate. Only 10% of babies with this condition live to the age of one, and if they do, they experience severe neurological issues and abnormalities. Obviously, this wasn't the news Mary wanted to hear about her baby boy, but she and her husband tried to continue on as normal. It was nerve-wracking, and we didn't we didn't even set up a crib or anything just because we thought if he does survive, if he does come home from the hospital, you know, shoot, we can put up a crib real quickly. When Mary's water broke way earlier than planned, she and her husband headed to the hospital with no idea what to expect. My water broke at 30 weeks, so we knew he might not make it. Um, at one point, they just came in and they took off the fetal monitor. And I didn't even really pay any attention to it, but they noticed that he was starting to have distress. And we had talked about it. Um, and we had decided not to do a C-section. And so they just took off the heart monitors. And I didn't realize until later what that meant. And then, you know, he was he was stillborn. But, you know, we had time with him. Because the baby came so early... Mary hadn't had a chance to tell her other children what to expect. Older brother was not even three. He just didn't quite understand everybody being upset and what this all meant. And and it was just kind of refreshing, you know, that in his youth and in his innocence, you know, he was just still him and going about his business. And that just kind of kept us going. You know, we were open with them. Um, I don't think we had told them that there were going to be issues we were going to but we didn't, we thought we had more time. When the baby was born, the siblings came to the hospital and were able to hold their brother. And the hospital staff took great care in honoring the time they had with him. There are people out there, they actually make clothes for preemie and stillborn babies. And they, and they have blankets and they have memory boxes. And they're, they're just kind of waiting at the hospital so that if a child is stillborn, you know, and, and he, was, he was tiny. But they, you know, but they had these like doll-sized clothes, so that when we held him, he had clothes on. He had a little bit of hair, so they cut, they trimmed a little piece of hair and did footprints for us. And you know, it just it really helped. It really helped the whole grieving process. It was just so special, and you don't realize, you know, that there's somebody out there that's like, hey, we're thinking of you. We don't even we'll never meet you. We'll never see you. But I've crocheted this blanket, or I've sewn these clothes, and it's a gift to you. There are a number of organizations who do this for grieving families, like the Still Remembered Project, Forever Warm, and Littlest Angels Gowns. Of course, Mary says the hardest thing was leaving the hospital without her son, but she had his blanket she could snuggle with, 
and that made a difficult time a little bit easier. Definitely a hard thing to go through, but I've always just had this peace and comfort that I know I'm going to see him again someday. I won't pretend to understand how it feels to lose a child. I count my blessings that I haven't gone through that, and my heart breaks for people like Mary. But she's resilient, and even though her world took such a dramatic turn, she carried on, and soon, she was expecting another baby. After her previous experience, Mary was understandably anxious. I was nervous the whole time because uh, my second born had been born at uh, 35 weeks. My third born had been born at 30 weeks. And so from like 29 weeks to like 39 weeks, I was kind of a nervous wreck. So I was like, okay, good. Another day done. But with that pregnancy and the one that came after, everything went according to plan. And Mary soon had four active children to care for. For a while, they were all healthy and thriving. But that's where Mary's story takes another unexpected turn, this time with her son. When he was five, um, he, uh, we thought it might be like appendicitis or something. Um, he, you know, was vomiting and his stomach hurt. Um, I think his white blood count cell was high, but um, the x-ray didn't show like anything with the appendix. And we went to the hospital you know, fully expecting them to be like, yep, it's the appendix. And they're like, no, we're going to admit him. The CT scan had shown a mass in his abdomen. And so we spent a week, you know, with meeting with oncologists, meeting with, we'd been living out of the country the year before. So we're meeting with special uh, infectious disease. And the decision was, yep, this is a lymphatic mass. The mass in her son's abdomen is in his lymphatic system. It's not cancerous, but it's also not operable which means he suffers from chronic pain. For many years, it didn't bother him until he was 11. Now, the theory is, is as he started to then begin to grow faster, the mass was growing faster than he was. It, up until then, it had kind of been proportional. As he would grow, it would grow. The biggest thing is when he would get sick, he would have more pain, abdominal pain because when you're sick, your lymph tissue swells to help kill off the viruses and deal with the viruses in the body. And because he had this big mass, it would swell and cause pain. My hope for him is that, you know, as he, as he finishes growing and as he, you know, that his life will become more stable. And um, But from what the doctors tell us, you know, he'll always, you know, potentially have this pain. And because his condition isn't visible from the outside, it can be hard for Mary's son to feel heard. And when you look at him, he looks perfectly healthy. And so you don't, you know, there's nothing visible as a sign to somebody of, oh, he's not feeling well. Um, And so as we've worked, as he's gone to school and different things like that, you know, working with the school would be like, yeah, he's got these issues going on, or he's got mouth sores from the medicine, or he's nauseous, or he's fatigued. Mary's son is on medication to shrink the mass, which helps, but it also causes side effects. Mary has found an online support group for people who take the same medication as her son, and it's become a safe place to learn from others and share her experiences. In addition, she's figured out ways to mother a child with chronic health issues, and she has some advice for others in her situation. Not being consumed by it, and it's one of the hardest things because when your kids aren't feeling well, you know, you you want to move heaven and earth to help them feel better, and you want you want answers and you want solutions, and it's so frustrating when there aren't. You know, it's it's hard not to just have that be your life, you know, and and be just totally sucked into it. When he was sick, I felt awful. 
And when he would feel better, I would feel better. And I'm like, oh, this isn't healthy. If you're not in a good place, that's not any help for your child either. As her children have grown, Mary has walked several paths, especially with regard to their education. Initially, she homeschooled all of her kids, and it's something she's very proud of. I love teaching. I love being with my kids. If I would say, well, what was my greatest accomplishment in my life? I would say teaching four children to read. You know, once once they learn to read, it opens so many doors. Some of her children have been completely homeschooled. Others are attending public school this year. And it's that freedom to choose that Mary really admires. One of the things I think sometimes people take on with education is, you know, it's only one way. Oh, just public school or, oh, just private school or, oh, just homeschooling. And, and, and people have their different camps and they have their different viewpoints. My position has always been we all drive different cars. Some people, they need a minivan. Some people, they want the SUV with a four-wheel drive. Some people want a sports car. Some people, they've got a large family. They need the extended van. You know, we all have different cars and we like them for the different reasons and the different purposes. And the great thing about our country is we have the ability to do public school, private school, charter school, some combination, homeschool, and you can do whatever combination works best for you. Mary continues to raise her four children with the same amount of love and devotion as ever before. And perhaps more importantly, she strives to take time for herself as well. In fact, that's her number one piece of advice for moms. My advice, no matter what stage you're at, take time for yourself to replenish, Um, whether that's reading a book, an exercise class, you know, a hobby, part-time work, you know, getting together with friends. Because I think as moms, we tend to give and give and give. You know, there's Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree. I read an article by somebody who homeschooled and, and they were like, I don't want to be that giving tree where I just give of myself until there's nothing left. I want to be a tree that flourishes and continues to produce fruit and continues to, you know, have something to give. And there are different seasons, you know, in life. Um, But it is important, I think, through all of them that you do something for yourself so that your kids can see you as a whole individual. and, And it's good for you, too. Because your kids grow up and they grow up way too fast. (laughs) And, um, you know, you need to know who you are and what you believe in and and feed your your soul in in the process. Mary also wants to encourage other moms to be the bridge for women who are new to the community. When there's somebody new in your neighborhood or at your church or at school, you know, somebody new to the area, reach out to them because it's always so hard to be the new person in town and it's always so hard to break into a group of moms. That's kind of our best resource for one another is moms encouraging one another. Mary's children are growing into young adults, and she's proud of what they're accomplishing. She says, letting go and watching your children function and contribute to society is what this mothering thing is all about. And I absolutely agree. Thank you to Mary for sharing her story with us. Please join me next week for another inspiring story. Thanks for listening. Motherhood Material is produced by me, Heather Kuntz. Music by Eric Medias. For more information or to be featured, please contact motherhoodmaterialpod at gmail.com.